Hello and welcome back to the StatCast, presented by your hosts, Sam Greenman and me, Harrison Friedman. And before we get into the meat of the pod today, I just want to start off with a very specific complaint I have. So, as you may know, Sam and I are both Jewish, and yesterday, Wednesday, was a Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, which is a fast day. And it's not only a fast day, it's one probably the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, and it's famously the day that Sandy Koufax, when he was on the Dodgers way back in the 60s, he would rest on Yom Kippur, and he wouldn't play. And he did this in 1965, and, you know, I guess God shined upon them, and they won the series. And I think it was, there were a couple other series that he might have done that in, but anyway, this year we had Jews all over. We had Jews all over the playoffs. We had uh, Jock Peterson, the Dodgers. We had there's someone on the Braves. I'm not quite sure who, but I'm pretty sure we had someone on the Braves. It's not Max Fried, although I think it's although it's. Uh, a, I pretty all oh, it, it is I, Max Fried. I would think it's got to be Max. It's Fried, probably with Max that Fried. with with that with that name. It's got to be Max. My Fried. brother's name is literally Max Friedman, so I don't know. It's got to be something along those lines. But there's someone. I think there's someone Jewish on the Braves, and also obviously Alex Bregman, the new Hebrew Hammer, is on the Astros. So Yom Kippur started Tuesday night. Who was playing Tuesday night? You might ask. The Astros. Did the Astros win? No. Did Alex Bregman play? Yes. And then we get into tomorrow, or I guess technically yesterday, the day of Yom Kippur. First game, Braves play. They get absolutely smoked. They give up 10 runs in the first inning. We got Jew, We got a Jew playing? Yep, we do. And then we go to the last game, the Dodgers. They've been favored as possibly the World Series favorite all season long. And they have Jack Peterson on the team. We famously had... A Jewish series when Jock Pierce and Alex Bregman met in 2017 in the World Series. But does Jock Pearson play on Yom Kippur? He does play on Yom Kippur. And the Dodgers lose in extra innings in humiliating fashion. That's what happens when you play on Yom Kippur, guys. All right. And now, Milo Hamilton. Swinging, lining it to left. All right, hello and welcome back to the StatCast, where we're going to be talking about the incredible week of baseball that we have just had here. Sam, what do you want you to start it off? So last night we had a Game 5 of Dodgers-Nationals. Um, you might be, you know, thinking, hey, it's the Nationals in a Game 5 in the NLDS. Guaranteed loss. It was looking that way when the Dodgers were up 3 nothing after home runs by... Max Muncy and Kike Hernandez mm-hmm. made it three nothing. Walk- two innings. Yeah, after two innings, Walker Bueller was pitching well. Went six and a third, uh, struck out seven, mm-hmm. and then Dave Roberts, for n- no reason whatsoever, brings out of the bullpen Clayton Kershaw. And I really don't know what the point of this move is because Clayton Kershaw is the most talked about player when it comes to October because he it, he's basically a meme nobody or he gives up runs in the playoffs more than he does 
in the regular season. He can never get it done in the playoffs. And for some reason, Dave Roberts brought him in. And what did he do? He gave up back-to-back home runs to Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto that tied the game. Harrison, why do you think that Dave Roberts avoided common sense and put in Clayton Kershaw? Okay, I think that the reason Dave Roberts avoided common sense and put in Clayton Kershaw is because Dave Roberts really, really, really wants it to work out. He really wanted to pitch Kershaw in a game where he was rested enough to, to pitch in it. And it hadn't worked in the past, although it t- the time that it had worked in the past, there was basically no pressure because it was World Series Game 7 and the Astros were already up for nothing. But Kershaw did throw like several sterling innings in that game. But anyway... I think that this game actually has to be defined by Dave Roberts' mistakes. The reasons he did the stuff he did make sense in a vacuum, but then he doubled down on choices that probably shouldn't have worked out. Let's look at what I think are the two biggest reasons the Dodgers lost the game. The first one is Kershaw. So Bueller goes 6.2. He strikes out a bunch. Uh, he allowed one He allowed one run through the whole thing. But you got guys on either was it, it was a first and second or second and third, and... Robert decides, you know what? I trust Kershaw more than anybody else on this roster. I'm going to bring him in. And Kershaw strikes him out in great fashion. Dodger Stadium goes nuts. But then, in what obviously turned out to be a bad move, he brings Kershaw out for the next inning. So this is when Anthony Rendon hits a solo shot, and then on the very next pitch, Juan Soto follows him up by also depositing a ball in the seats. That's the first mistake. That ties the game up. But then he does what honestly is one of the shrewdest moves I've ever seen out as a manager, but also one of the ballsiest. He brings in Joe Kelly, who for the ninth inning in a tied ball game. If you don't know who Joe Kelly is, Joe Kelly is probably the most inconsistent pitcher on the planet. You literally do not know what you're going to get with him. The good thing about Joe Kelly is that he has a 101-mile-per-hour fastball. The bad thing about Joe Kelly is is that it's straight as an arrow. It's relatively predictable. So what happens in the ninth inning is that the Nationals are all real hyped up. They've got some of the best hitters in their lineup coming up to the plate. And do you know what Joe Kelly gives them? Does he give them his famous slash infamous 100-mile-per-hour fastball? Not once. Every single pitch is a curveball, and it's a great curveball. And so since all the batters are just sitting fastball, waiting for it every time, they all get rung up on him, and I think he gets three strikeouts in a row. So Dave Roberts, again, got lucky. Like, he got lucky with Kershaw getting that strikeout in the bottom of the seventh. He got lucky with Joe Kelly in the ninth. But then he brings out Joe Kelly again. How can you? I don't know what got into his head. He was like, oh, well, Joe Kelly's just going to throw a bunch more more curveballs. Or, oh, they're going to be sitting curveball this time. Maybe the fastball is going to work out. But Joe Kelly loads the bases. And then Joe Kelly tries to put a 97-mile-per-hour fastball past Howie Kendrick who has sucked all series long, and Howie Kendricks hits it to center field for a grand slam, and that's the ballgame. It's like Dave Roberts just won $100 on a lottery ticket, Mm -hmm. and he says, wow, I won $100. I want to see how much more I can win. So I'm going to use this $100 that I won to see how much I can win in lottery tickets with this $100. He's literally literally the definition of a horrible gambler. Yeah. It's... Like, he he thought that he was on a run, I guess. And then he was like, oh, I'll just keep going. I'll keep, I'll keep choosing black. And then he kept choosing black. And then uh, Joe Kelly completely blew it. I don't know what's up with Dave Roberts. 
By the time you hear this, he might actually have been fired, which is crazy as it sounds for a manager who has led the Dodgers to some of their best uh, win totals in their entire history and has led them to two straight World Series. They lost both those World Series. This year they won 106 games and blew it in the first round because of what seems to be Dave Roberts' fault. So as far as a postmortem on the Dodgers goes, they, we could see some serious changes in L.A. I think the only changes that are going to be seen in L.A. are probably bullpen changes and staff changes. Staff I, I, changes. Like man, mainly managerial okay. changes. I don't see Dave Roberts coming back for 2020. That's probably fair. I mean, the Red Sox had to get rid of their manager back in 2003 before, uh, what's his name? We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. Very good team. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) You want to talk more about just how well the Nationals did this series, sort of against expectations? I don't know if they did well. I honestly can't tell. Um, For me personally... I thought the Nationals had such an interesting approach to what they did. So Patrick Corbin, he, well, Patrick, yeah, Patrick Corbin comes into this game that Steven Strasburg started, and he strikes out three guys. And remember, this is the same Patrick Corbin who earlier on in the series led up, what was it, six runs. The Dodgers had a seven-run inning in Game Three in a game that they in the game that the Nationals had been winning two to one because Patrick Corbin came in. And just ba- pretty much blew the like blew the entire game, and this was kind of uh, something that the managers, the Nationals, were doing all series. So you have Scherzer pitching the wild card game with Strasburg coming in in relief. Stra- uh, Scherzer pitches um, an inning of relief in game two uh, of the of the NLDS in a game that Strasburg had started, and then yes, you have Corbin who comes in. Who Corbin lost game one, comes in in game three, lets up six. But then in this game, he comes in and gets a shutout inning in the third. So that means that in your six games that you've had, you've had Scherzer pitch three times, you've had Strasburg pitch three times, and you had Patrick Corbin pitch three times, which is really impressive for a team which has been sort of defined by how fallible their bullpen was. And especially if you look at uh, the bullpen results, in Game 3, their pen allowed four runs. In Game 2, it allowed one run. And in Game 3, it allowed nine runs. And all of that was in a... Com- so that was 14 runs and a combined eight innings in the first three games. And that would that would have been the reason why they lost if they hadn't done so well in Games 4 and 5. Yeah, I think the hitting really... Um bailed out the bullpen yeah and the fact that the dot that the nationals decided to go with the bullpen of starters mainly i think that helped yeah um and davy martinez chose the right starters to throw out there unlike roberts yeah i mean david martinez realized that he had three of the best pitchers in the national league and so he threw him out and trusted him Walker Buehler only pitched twice in games one and five, and he did phenomenally well in both those games. He only allowed one run total. He struck out 15 and 12 and, and twelve and two-thirds, but he only came in twice. He was a young guy. I'm not sure if uh, Dave Roberts could just trust him that that much. And so because of that, the, even with, though the Dodgers had—they well, won 
a game that Walker Buehler started, then they won another game that Walker Buehler didn't start, and then they should have won this game that Walker Buehler did start because he was their best pitcher all year. And even though they went to him when it mattered, sup, they had to unfortunately go to other pitchers, and that's what kind of messed up messed it up. Who do you think? Who do you have as a real impact player on this series? Who really stood out to you? Only to find the series. I mean, the person for me that defined the series was Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I can speak candidly here, I just get a massive erection every time he takes a pitch from whoever's on the mound, then looks out at the pitcher in this squatted stance and kind of nods at him, kind of like the little league that was like, "Okay, now I, now I, you know, now I've seen you." It was just it gave me so much energy. I, I like I absolutely loved it. Not not only that, but he hit uh, two home runs in the series, yeah. and you know, in addition to the NLDS, I mean, the entire postseason, including the wild card, Juan Soto has just been getting big hit after big hit for the Nationals. I agree with you. For me, the guy who sort of pairs really nicely with Juan Soto, and it's kind of the old and the new, would be Anthony Rendon. So you had Rendon and Soto in Game 5 going back-to-back with their clutch home runs. Uh, Rendon had three RBIs in the game in a must-win game four, and is including he had an R- they scored in three different innings, uh, and he scored uh, and he also and he scored a fourth run. So basically every inning that they that the Nationals scored runs, Rendon had an RBI in in game four, which they won. And he also had what turned out to be the game the winning RBI in the second inning of game two. So for me, Rendon really personify the Nationals this year. He was an uh, he's an undersung guy who deserves MV who seriously deserves MVP votes and MVP consideration and he hit phenomenally this series. And so for me, I think he gets major cred. So do you want to move on to the Braves and Cardinals now? Yeah, I well I would definitely well, what is one word you'd use to define Cardinals Braves? Um Sherman. Sherman. No, as far as that's maybe as far as Game Five goes, the Cardinals did burn Atlanta to the ground metaphorically. But for me, I'd say this is probably the most exciting series of them all. You want to talk about that? So yeah, I said before the series even started that this Braves Cardinals series would, would be competitive, and on the surface, it went the full five games, totally competitive. For the first four games, four games, and then. The Cardinals decide that scoring lots of runs is a good strategy. So they score 10 runs in the first inning on only five hits. Yeah. And basically... and No homers. No homers. And they basically end it in the yeah. first inning. Yeah, this is a series which you almost have to ignore the final result and just talk about how we got to Game 5 in the first place. Because the Cardinals won 13-1 to in Game 5. It was kind of a joke almost. You had Mike Fultonevich and Max Fried just get absolutely shelled, and then the game was over before the Braves could even get a chance to bat. So why don't we talk more about the games, the crazy, crazy games that led up to Game 5 happening in the first place. So Game 4 was, you had the, it was basically the Yadier Molina game, where you had a little dinker off the end of the bat that Freeman kind of backs up on, and it hits off the tip of his glove, drives in the game-tying run in the eighth inning. Yeah. And 
then in the 10th inning, Cardinals get uh, runners on against Tehran. They have a runner at third. Yeah. And Molina hits a sack fly, wins the game for them to send them to the game five. Yeah. Game three was the comeback from the Braves in the ninth inning. Yeah. Where Carlos Martinez, who is very much losing the beef battle between him and Acuna, yeah. gives up. Acuna hit 500. Yeah, Acuna hit 500. Gives up how many runs? Four runs? In Three the ninth? runs. Three runs in the ninth inning. Cardinals, Cardinals are up one nothing going into the ninth inning. And then Braves are up for three runs. Yep, that was capped by a Dansby Swanson double. Yeah. Uh, Dansby Swanson doubled, and then Adam Duvall singled to right. uh, make it 3-1. Yep. to one. And so, yeah, I thought it was a phenomenal series. Game two, game one, actually, was a really interesting one. That one was 7-6, right? Yep. That was game one. Yeah, so in this game, this sort of defined the series. So it's 3-3 three to three going into the ninth inning. I think it's tied up in the eighth inning to make it 3-3. Three to three. But so then the Cardinals score four runs in the top of the ninth inning in Atlanta. And so you think, oh, the game's over. Well, the Braves respond with three runs of their own and su- with a couple homers. And then suddenly it's base- it's a one-run game in the bottom of the ninth inning in the first game, and the Cardinals end up holding on for the win. But, oh, my goodness, what an incredible game. I'm, I'm sure that after four games, both Cardinals fans and Braves fans' fingernails were just completely gone. Yeah. They'd bitten them all off. To me... One thing that really stood out was role players in this series. For the Braves, you had Adam Duvall yeah, and Dansby was, Swanson. Yeah. Oh my goodness! So Duvall hit. Let's ignoring Game Five, which was kind of just really unfortunate for the Braves. Duvall hit 429 in the first four games, including a two-run pinch hit home run to really seal Game Two, which I think they won three nothing. And he also had a, he threw out someone at the plate, I think. Um, and he also had uh, that additional single to cap off the 3-1 to one win that the Braves had in Game 3. Dansby Swanson hit, did even better. He hit 500 in the first four, played great shortstop defense. There was one inning, I think it was in Game 3, or might have been in Game 4, where he, Swan, the ball gets hit to Swanson three times in a row, and he just makes three great plays, one after one after the other. And... For guys who pretty much batted 8th and ninth, I got 7th and 8th because this is a National League, in the Braves lineup and didn't get that much play all season, I thought it was really impressive what they what they did for the losing side. Yeah, on another note, Freddie Freeman did not really show up in the series at all. Yeah? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he hit 100 in the series. And I'm pretty sure that his only real contribution was the solo home run in the, the, top of the, in the bottom of the ninth of Game 1. Yeah. So, Freddie Freeman, usually the guy the Braves can always count on, the same way the Nash can always count on Rendon, did not show up. Who is your impact player? Who would you say is the the guy from the real impact player from this series? From this series, I like Marcelo Zuna as the impact player. Mm. He uh, he went 9 for 21 with two homers and five RBIs yeah. in the series with a 1335 OPS. And both he hit two solo home runs in game four. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he was the him and Goldschmidt carried the card. Well, they didn't carry the Cardinals actually because they got they got contributions from even Dexter Fowler. Yeah. Um, and of course 
the the no name Tommy Edmond. Oh, I'm gonna be talking about him in a sec. Yeah. Ooh, so let's hear about it. What? Why is Tommy Edmond your impact player? Tommy Edmond was probably the best story on the Cardinals this year. He's a guy, six round pick out of some no name college, who everyone thought was just being a slap hitter, who was gonna be organization depth. He wasn't probably was never gonna make the majors. He made the majors, and in this September, he hit almost 400. And so Tommy Edmond. Uh, he got on base a bunch this series. He hit 316, which is pretty good, but he really made all those hits count. Three of them were doubles, one of them was a triple, he had a couple walks, and he was a real spark plug for the offense that the Cardinals desperately needed all year. And after turning on September, he has stayed real hot through the playoffs. And before we go, as far as Cardinals-Braves goes, I just want to talk about the pitching. I think it was really impressive, and that made for a lot of good games. You had starters go for decent amounts of time, obviously, excluding Game 5. But you had a lot of late runs against good bullpens, which made for a lot of close, interesting games. I wouldn't call the Braves' bullpen good. The Braves' bullpen is actually top 10 in the league after the after the trade deadline, so the last two months of the season. So it, it, was, the wor- it was the worst in the league going up to the trade deadline, but then after they got some real help for the bullpen, they really got a lot better, and obviously the Cardinals were a top 3 bullpen this year. But... I think that that's sort of the recipe for a really fun, exciting series. Really good starting pitching, but shaky bullpens. And that's what I think uh, is probably going to define the next series, where the Nats, as we've talked about, phenomenal starting pitching, can't trust their bullpen. Yeah, so do you want to talk about uh, NLCS preview of Cardinals-Nats? Yeah. Um, What do you have to say about that subject? Firstly... I think this is a breath of fresh air. I like the matchup. It's new. Cardinals, Nationals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cardinals haven't been to the NLCS in a few years, even though they... 2013. Yeah, 2013 was... I, no, they made it 2014. They made, no. Yeah, because they, they played did? the Giants. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah. And, you know, they haven't been for five years, but... I still think this is an entirely different team from 2014. Of course, you still have Molina. You still have... Wainwright, but you got the new guys. You got Goldschmidt, Ozuna, Edmund, Edmund, Flaherty, Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis. I mean, I I think the Cardinals are an exciting bunch, and I think the Nationals are are an exciting bunch. I like. I think this actually will be a very good series. Um, you know, as long as the Nationals starters can keep up this run of going. You know, six innings and then two innings or so out of the bullpen in another game and do it effectively. I think that's the way that they can win the series. Cardinals just have to, you know, they just have to get consistent starting pitching from the guys after Flaherty. And then I think that's how they win the series because I think the hitting for the Cardinals is going to be there nonetheless. It's been there the entire second half and in the division series. So. For a prediction on this series, oh, yeah. First of all, I think this will go. I'll say six games. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say Cardinals in six. All right. Well, I'm also very excited for this series. Um, I do love St. Louis, and the Cardinals have grown on me over the past few years. And this is probably the most exciting Cardinals team. I want to say since 2011. This is just a fun Cardinals team to watch, one you really didn't expect to win at the beginning of the year, but now is in the NLCS against a Nationals team that has always sort of hung around. The Nationals are a team that have never actually won 
a series in the playoffs before in their entire their entire 13 year existence. So this is real crazy for them. But as far as matchup goes, I think the Nationals have better starting pitching than the Cardinals, and I think it's good enough that they won't actually have to do their whole deal where they throw like this guy in relief every few days or something. Because this is going to be a long series, I think, and you don't want to expend anyone too early. So I think that as far as hitting goes, the Nationals hitting uh, is probably a little, also a little better than the Cardinals, but I really like the Cardinals' bullpen against the Nationals. So I think I like the Nationals better in this one. I think I'm going to pick Nats in six with the Nationals slash uh, Montreal Expos' very first ever World Series experience. Um, didn't they make the World Series in 1994? That's what I hear all the time. Uh, that season did not have a World Series because of a strike. And but that's what Expos. But that's that's what I hear from Nationals fans is that 1994 was their year. Is it, it is it not true? It could have been their year. It wasn't their year. Ah, uh, so what you're saying is Nationals fans are liars. Nationals fans, noted liars. Wow. Um. Do you want to switch to the AL? Let's switch to the AL. We had. Um, a sweep, which is never fun, but no. especially when it's the Yankees. If the Yankees had been swept, it would have been a lot more fun. But yeah, the Yankees did not get especially swept. since it was the Twins. And I said after the first game, you could probably tell what was going to happen in this series, and the Yankees just came out swinging, and the Twins came out swinging and missing. Yeah. Um, they started a an Uber driver who had. Whose only saving grace is his Uber rating, which was four point nine nine, and he actually took a pretty good jab at Cameron Maben, who said, "I'd rate this series a four point nine nine out of five. And then he subtweeted it, saying, "Hit me up if you need a ride, dog." And the funny thing about that is Cameron Maben had been arrested on a DUI charge. In the past, yeah. Yeah. So, what stuck out to you during this series? Just that the Twins' bats fell cold and. The massive depth, um, or lack of depth, I guess, for the Twins as far as pitching goes, got exposed. Yeah. And, you know, the Yankees are still the Twins' dad, basically, I think. They own them. Yeah. I sort of agree with you on that front. One thing that I think was interesting is that even in a series which was as one-sided as it was, no Yankees starter pitched more than five innings. Because the Yankees, I would say, without a doubt, have the best bullpen. Oh, the Rays are still the Rays are still around, so it's hard to say. But I, in my opinion, I think the Yankees have the most guys in the bullpen, the most guys you can dependably trust on, and they really showed that in this series. The bullpen allowed only one run in each of the games. The Yankees actually outscored the Twins twenty-three to seven in this series, and not a single game was close. Uh, the Yankees won by six runs, six runs, and four runs, which is a combined win differential of plus 16. Yeah, obviously. But, <laughs> but yeah, the Twins, they had a really great season, but what sort of got exposed is the fact that outside of the Indians, Twins' division was relatively horrific. I think that all three teams that were in this series besides them and the Indians are going to finish near the top uh, I think they finished near the top of the draft this season so the twins their pitching wasn't that good it never was that good their hitting was what carried them and actually 
The Twins only got out-homered 5-4 by the Yankees, but here's the bad part about that. They were all solo home runs, and they only scored three other runs on runs that weren't home runs in the series. So bad sequencing, pretty bad hitting. Miguel Sano, uh, all-star, I think, this year for the Twins, only had one hit, which was a home run. Nelson Cruz only got two hits, one of which was a home run. Max Kepler, the leadoff hitter, didn't get a single hit all series long. And at the same time, everyone on the Yankees was hot. Because, first of all, the Yankees are really com- the Yankees have just been hot for a little while now, but also the Twins' pitching was bad. So Glaber Torres... He hit like 417. Stanton really showed up. I think he had over 300. Cameron Mabin coming back from injury had a pinch hit home run. It was a real impress. It was a real impressive beatdown by the Yankees. And as much as you hate to see it, the Yankees look like the best team in the playoffs right now. It's unfortunate. Who was your impact player from this series? I gotta go with Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres hit a home run in Game 3. He got four RBIs in the series. He hit 417, like I said. And he just pretty much showed that the Yankees like have a really good mix of young of younger players and older players. And can basically anyone can step in for anybody all over the diamond. I think that the Yankees' depth really showed out, and Glaber Torres was the, was the guy who really showed up even more than everybody else this series. What about you? I think it's D.D. Gregorius. I mean, he hit the grand slam. He was 4 for 10 in the series. He hit, so a 400 average and a 1,200 OPS. Yeah. Uh, I I think he basically jump-started the offense in that uh, game two. When he hit the grand slam. When he hit yeah. the grand slam, um, which, again, you kind of hate to see. But you also it, – it's – this was just not a competitive series – it wasn't fun to watch, really. Yeah. Um, the Twins were outclassed. It's as simple as that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to what is oh boy. a very exciting series, which will be over by the time you hear this podcast. So let's see how much everything holds up. All right. Let's. Where do you want to start as far as Astros Rays? Let's start with how this game even, how this series even got to five games. Yeah. How how did the Astros let the Rays win not one but two games in this series? Well, do you know that the Astros still haven't won a game at Tropicana Field this entire year? They're 0-6 there this season. I think that's a good way to start. So now they're 0-8? No, no, they were 0-4. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes, yeah, okay. The Astros cannot catch a break at Tropicana Field this year, and it really has showed... So And it's really showed this series, and they're very lucky that they're going home where they actually had the best home record in the entire league. I think they, were, they weren't they were that high above 500 on their road record this year. So the Ashes are very much like a team that loves being at home and really um, does their best at Minute Maid Park. I think they lost less than 20 games there this year. Yeah. Um, it was both sad and impressive to see the amount of people that showed up at Tropicana Field for these two games. Yeah. It was sad in the fact that they still didn't even sell out, mm-hmm. but it was impressive in the fact that they even got 30,000 fans. They in added that, in new seats. They added in new seats. It was incredible to see, you know, more than 1,000 people at that stadium. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how this Rays team got to Verlander in Game 4. 
that, that you're 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 an expert on this. I'm an team. Astros fan. You're an expert on I've this. I've watched team. this team all year. How did Verlander sh- poop the bed so badly? I think it's as simple as this. Justin Verlander had never pitched a game on three days rest in his entire career. But usually pitchers go four days between starts. They have four days of rest. But this time, for the first time ever, Justin Verlander said, I'm good, give me the ball. And so he took it, but he let up three runs in the first inning. Willie Adamas homered in I think the second or the fourth. I don't remember which one. And that's all that the Rays needed in this game. I mean, the thing about the Astros all season is that they had Verlander and they had Cole, but they didn't really have anybody else to fill in the rest of the rotation. So Wade Miley was the guy for most of the year, but he imploded in September and showed that he's still imploding when he had a relief appearance and immediately gave up a home run in Game 3, which Zach Greinke blew completely. So the Astros rotation after Verlander... Verlander, I trust on four days rest. Cole, I trust in Game 5. But the Astros... Or even if they win this series, they're going to be limping into the next one because they're just going to have just two days. They're just going to have one day, actually. The series would start on Saturday in between this one and the ALCS against the Yankees, if they even make it that far. Yeah, so it's... Verlander made a bad pitch. Okay, well, he made more than one. He made more than one bad pitch, but one led to the other. Verlander actually um, has allowed... He led 66 runs this year. 36 of them were on home runs. He's the first pitcher ever, uh, first quali- pitcher ever, qualified pitcher ever to allow more than half of his runs on home runs. It's very weird because, you know, he was tops among the tops in the league in ERA. He had a yeah. 2.5 something. Yeah. And, you know, his FIP was actually kind of high. Yeah, it was it was above three because he was because of the home runs, runs, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what else do you have to say about this series besides Verlander because it's no games have been that close, but they've been interesting, especially the way they've been played. Yeah, it all it's it seems like this is a very hard series. I I, I to fully recap this series, I would need to see what happens in Game Five. That's fair because this series has just been a bunch of you know wins with you know clear reasons why you know the teams won it's like oh you had a great starting pitching here you got great hitting here exactly um i think the rays have showed consistent um hitting yeah that bullpen the whole kevin cash bullpen is just it's lights it's out. lights out it's you know everybody loves posting the gifts of them throwing the pitches and having just these this weird movement yeah um but yeah, game five, we got Tyler Glass now against Garrett Cole. Yeah, I think the pitching is, in most of these series, the hitting has defined the, the series. and But I think in this one, it's the pitching that's really made the difference. So in games one and two, you have Verlander and Cole, the two best pitchers in the AL this year, who go up against Tyler Glass now and Blake Snell, who both have been very good when they've been healthy because Snell and Glass now have mi- missed most of the year. And so the Astros won both games one and two. Uh, they had some clutch hitting. Game one wasn't that close. Uh, Garrett Cole got 15 Ks and didn't allow a run in game two, which all makes a lot of sense. Those are the games you expected to see if you had watched the Astros and the Rays all year. And then game three also seemed to make a lot of sense. The Rays were at home. They were a lot better at home. 
They had Charlie Morton on the mound, who had pitched in the wild card game, and who just shut the A's down in the wild card game, and then shut the Astros down in turn uh, in game three. And meanwhile, Zach Greinke, who unfortunately has is a guy who has a lot of anxiety and doesn't have a good history uh, pitching well in the postseason, and he continued that, kind of blew up in game three. And so again, that's a game that you expect. You expect to see like Charlie Morton, who's probably been the best pitcher after Verlander and Cole this year and was on the Astros the last two seasons. You expect to see him do well in game three. But game four is where it all changed or sort of stayed the same because if you follow the Rays, you know that they love their bullpen, like you've said. And if you told me five years ago that, or I guess like maybe 10 years ago when Justin Verlander was good, it was good last, but that Justin Verlander was going to go up against a team pitching a bullpen game and the team just throwing out a bunch of relievers was going to outpitch him, I would have thought you were crazy. But that's the state of Major League Baseball right now. When you have a, it's basically you're saying if you have a bunch of guys with filthy stuff each going an inning or two at a time versus an old school, give me the ball. I'm going to start and I'm going to win the game every day kind of guy. The bullpen team, the team with throwing the bullpen game actually can win. And so that's, I think, the biggest takeaway from the series, regardless of what happens in Game 5, when we'll have Garrett Cole going up against an ace. And maybe a couple aces because Blake Snell is also going to be ready to pitch in Game 5. I think the series is definitely a clash between two eras. I think the Astros are very much, you know, starters go seven, eight innings. You know, hitters like to, you know, just hit bombs. Not even only home runs they just they and like they also to never hit. strike out they don't strike out a lot um they're an old school powerhouse yeah and then the rays are the new new breed of team which you know uses an, uses openers uses bullpens for the majority of the game plays small ball you know and platoons. just platoons you know goes through all the analytics and it's interesting to see how far analytics has come they've pushed the astros to five games and might even win yeah, game the, five. The Astros are one of probably the most the most analytically driven team in all of baseball. But at the same time, for whatever reason their bullpen hasn't really worked out. They made a couple moves that are kind of the old school moves to make, which is put your starter in the game, see how many innings they'll go, and it hasn't worked out for them every time. Obviously the Rays lost two games, so it doesn't work out for them every time. Their stuff doesn't always work. But they've been competitive when I would say the Astros are markedly better than anybody but maybe the Yankees and the Dodgers. But, I mean, you saw what happened to the Dodgers this series. So, Also, another reason I think the Astros are struggling is because hitting can go cold at any time. George Springer is hitting 118 this series. Michael Brantley is only hitting 125. The only You've got some more consistent guys in Altuve and Alvarez and Bregman. But even then, Alvarez has made some has struck out at some real key times. And Altuve is the only guy who's really shown up because he's hitting 313 with two bombs. But the Astros' offense really needs to turn it around because they haven't scored very many runs in the last couple in the last few games. Yeah, I don't know what... The Astros are giving me a lot of doubt. Yeah. I picked them as the World Series winner before the playoffs, and I still think that they'll win this series and win this game. Um, but... They're really, they're they're testing my faith in them. I don't know what caused them to just prolapse 
for these last two games other than maybe being in a dome just triggers them? I don't know. Maybe they play in a dome. Well, sometimes. They play in a retractable roof kind of stadium. Maybe they just need to see the sun. I don't know. (laughs) These games have been during the day, but yeah. Oh, first one was. But anyway, um, I don't, I just, it's, before the playoffs started, everyone was willing to crown the Astros as like, oh, of course they're going to win the World Series. So, and I predicted, I thought the Rays might give them a little trouble. Before the series, I predicted they'd win in four. And my predictions were pretty good. I predicted the Yankees would sweep and the Nationals would beat the Dodgers, which was going out on a limb. But anyway, I did not think that the Astros would get pushed to five games against this Rays team, that which, while good, isn't... Like, they clearly weren't the best team in baseball all year. The Yankees overtook them. And this give, does give me serious doubt that even if the Astros make it, that they're going to be competitive enough against a Yankees team, which really looks to be clicking on all cylinders. But, See, yeah. yeah, let's get into predictions for... Oh, do you want to say your impact uh, player? Yeah, so impact players. My impact player for the series is Tommy Pham. I think he's mm. been doing a... An excellent job. He hit a home run yesterday. I'm pretty sure he hit a home run in the game before. Um, home run in both games, three and four. Um, he's hitting 429. You know, he's he, he made a lot of headlines with all the stuff he said about St. Louis. And yeah. I don't know how I feel about him as a person. I think he's a great baseball player. Um yeah, I think he's the reason, or at least one of the reasons why the Rays are, you know, at this stage. Yeah. I also had Tommy Pham as my impact player. And I think that he's been one of the best, he's been one of the best hitters in baseball for the, for the past few years, but he's also one of the most outspoken ones. He's the kind of guy who's willing to say, hey, I don't feel comfortable, or hey, I don't know if everything is working the way it should. Not in the same way... He, it's sort of similar to Trevor Bauer, but he gives me a better vibe than Trevor Bauer does because Trevor Bauer just kind of seems like an asshole who's like, oh, I'm only going to sign one-year con- one year contracts every single year just so I get the most money that I can, which, all right, great, but Tommy Pham is actually talking about the, some real problems that are impacting the game. And so it's sort of like, yeah, he doesn't have any control over what happens to him. I don't think Tommy Pham wanted to go to Tampa Bay, really. I remember when he got traded to the Rays, Another last year, the other team that was in on him was actually the Houston Astros, and Tommy Pham is a guy who used, was drafted by Jeff Luno, who was the, who worked for the Cardinals at the time. So, I thought that Pham was actually a great hit, a great uh, what's great fit for the Astros because he's a guy who doesn't strike out a lot, gets on base, and it seems to be pretty good in the clubhouse. But the Rays got him, and obviously the Rays, who are also a very, very smart team, know what's up. And so he hit a home run off Justin Verlander. He reminds me of Alex Bregman a bit in that way, in that he's not afraid to go up against the quote-unquote best player in the league. Alex Bregman's postseason home runs have only been off of All-Stars, including six Cy Young winners, six off Cy Young winners, and the other one was off Kenley Jansen. So that's pretty impressive. I think the list is like Kershaw. Maybe like it's Kershaw, it's Snell, it's two off Chris Sale, it's and a couple other guys. Um, he hit one off Bauer. Hit one off Bauer. Maybe Bauer. Yeah, yeah he did. He hit one off Bauer. Kluber. Uh, he went off he Kluber. He went off Kluber. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he hit one off Jansen, and he hit one off Kershaw in game one of the 2017 World Series. Right, right, right. And he had those two off Sale a couple yeah. years ago in the LDS. So 
Tommy Pham, I think, has been the best player in the series so far. I think he's the best batting average series at 429. And he's the kind of guy who is going to be in the top of the lineup every day and is going to be on base most times that he gets up to the plate. So if the Rays move on to the next round, I think it's going to be because more than anything of Tommy Pham. All right, you want to get into predictions? Yeah, so I think for ALCS, Rays might have a shot against the Yankees. Yeah. I think regardless of whoever gets in, I think it's going to be a competitive series. I agree, but I think if the Rays get there, I don't think a lot of people will be thinking that they'll that that'll be a competitive series, but I like the Rays' chances. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I want, you know, the Yankees to lose. Yeah. But I think the Rays can really take advantage of the Yankees having, you know, suspect starting pitching and the Rays can use their lethal bullpen to kind of shut down the Yankee lineup. Yeah. Whether that'll happen or not is, you know, it's first dependent on whether the Rays make it that far. Yeah. But it's also dependent on them performing, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that's another question. I think if everything goes right, the Rays could be in the World Series. Yeah. So if if it's Rays Yankees, I would hazard a guess that it'll go. I I would like to see a seven game series if it's that. Mm-hmm. And I would honestly pick the Rays. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that this postseason has actually been full of very surprising outcomes. Mm-hmm. So if the Rays, I think if the Rays beat the Astros, they'll walk into that series with a ton of confidence. You know, they'll only have to rest for a day, you know. They're a team that you don't, they don't really need rest as much as other teams do. Yeah, because, you know, it's all bullpen and it's all platoon guys. So everybody's always getting, you know, rest and their usage is being, you know, they're being used as efficiently as possible. Yeah. And if the Astros make it, I think the Astros will win that series. So you don't think the Yankees have a chance? I think the Yankees have a chance. I can't predict um, a Yankees team being in the World Series. That's just against my morals. That's fair. That's very fair coming from a Red Sox fan. Now, what I think, I think Game 5 is going to be a little dull. I think one team is going to get off to an early lead and then sort of just carry that the rest of the way, which has sort of been the MO of this series, I think. But... I'm really worried. I don't know if the Astros are going to win this game. And even with Garrett Cole on the mound, he is someone who, like Verlander, is prone to letting up a few runs in the first couple innings before settling down and mowing down the rest of the lineup. So we could, we're, we're going to see a very interesting game tonight. And by the time this is over, I mean, unless somehow that's a blowout, which I kind of doubt seeing as how both offenses are relatively evenly matched. Maybe the Rays are a little better right now, but Cole is hotter than Glasnow, so it'll be close. But for one team, is probably going to be biting their nails throughout the yeah, entire game. Yeah, remember Garrett Cole hasn't lost any of his last twenty-two starts. Yeah, Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in baseball right now. But so looking ahead, let's say that the Rays make it. If the Rays make it, I don't know. I think they're a very good team. I think the the thing about the Rays and the Yankees is that the, both of them are very deep. The um, Yankees starting pitching isn't quite as good, I would say, and right now it's a little shaky than the Rays starting pitching, a little shaker than the Rays starting pitching, and the Rays would have Charlie Morton going in game one, which is in Yankee Stadium, which would be a phenomenal game to see. 
But the Rays also started out the season pretty hot, and the Yankees just overtook them, and their depth just carried them. And so I kind of see it carrying out that same. I say that if the Rays make it, then the Yankees win in six. But if the Astros make it, I think then the Astros would have home field advantage. An Astros-Yankees series, we had a phenomenal Astros-Yankees series when the Astros were the new kids in town trying to knock off the Yankees in 2017. Astros jumped out to a 2-0 lead. Yankees stormed back, took three at home, and then the Astros won the final two at home, which was one of the greatest ALCSs I've ever seen. It's always fun seeing the Yankees lose in the ALCS. You and I both know that. Yeah. But I think if the Astros make it, then it goes the full seven. We see some crazy games. I think that would be a more entertaining series than Yankees Rays just because those teams have a history and they really know how to play each other. And they both have, like, people like Aaron Judge on the Yankees and Jose Altuve on the Astros, even though they're totally different in size. They're both people who really step up in these clutch situations. And Aaron Judge this year has really been impressive for how much he's stepped up compared to previous years in the postseasons. So I think if we get Astros-Yankees, it goes 7 the Astros win a thriller in Game 7, and uh, we have an Astros-Nationals World Series. So are you done talking about the playoffs? Because I have a soapbox of my own to get on. Let's get let's finish start with the, this with a soapbox and finish with a soapbox. I'm excited. All right. The 300-400-500 club is the home to many members. That's a 300 batting average, 400 slug, uh, on base, and a 500 slugging. It's not home to many members. And this I, is career, you're saying? Career. You know who's nine points away in batting average from being a member of that club? Is it someone who's active? No. Oh. Um, I'm going to go with Jim Rice. That couldn't have been further off. So okay. I want to talk about Brian Giles. Brian Giles, famed steroid user and wife. No, nope, no, 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 no. We're not going to talk about any of that. We're going to talk about how good he is as a baseball player. Okay. Just in the field. Okay. Just on the field. With the Bro- steroids are running. <clears throat> anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> Brian Giles hit for his career 291 with a 400 on base percentage and a 502 slugging. So just barely. Just barely. But I was looking, I'm currently working on analyzing the best seven year stretches for both hitters and pitchers. Mm-hmm. Brian Giles is on the list of about 20 people that have the best seven-year stretches because Brian Giles for a seven-year stretch from 1999 to 2005 for when you average it to 150 games a season per season he would have had 30 homers or 18 on base a 554 slugging which means he would have had a 972 OPS better than the best seven-year stretch of Wade Boggs, Wade Boggs would have had an OPS plus of 150 cumulatively. Has a career WAR of 51.1. All right. And that's as a left wins above replacement, as a left fielder. His offensive wins above replacement is 54 points, one even plus one D WAR in every season. You're probably looking at a. 60. I don't. I'm not saying that Brian Giles should be on the Hall of Fame, but when you look at his numbers. It's very hard to say that he's not a Hall of Fame candidate. I'm going to tell you about this guy who's on the Hall of Fame. He has 762 career home runs. Gee, I can't. I can't imagine who you're thinking of. Or maybe this other guy who won a Cy Young 
uh, he won two Cy Youngs 20, 20-ish years apart. Neither of these guys are in the Hall of Fame, even though they had two of the best careers of all time. And why? I don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't think of anything. Why aren't Nothing. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in the Hall of Fame? Because of steroids. Brian Giles is never going to get into the Hall of Fame because he was a product of the steroid era. Um, I think he did something that wasn't that great to his wife. I might be misremembering that, but I think he did something along those lines. And if Barry Bonds gets in and Roger Clemens gets in and people like Mike Piazza don't have to wait a bunch to get in, if A-Rod gets in, I guess Big Poppy got in. <laughs> but only then would I say that Brian Giles deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, but that's where I disagree because Brian Giles' career high in home runs was 39. Okay. What age? How long? It was at age 28. Okay. So you're, what you're saying is that Brian his, Giles... His, his peak was not at the end of his career. His peak was well, firmly in the middle of his career. It was from ages 28 to 34, which is very, you know, that's... Which is relatively normal for this period, yeah, era. Yeah, exactly. And he was getting, you know, it was getting worse towards the end. You know, his best year was 177 OPS plus, and that occurred in his age 31 season. Which, okay. And... He never had an OPS that high for the rest of his career. You know, he continued to go down. In the National League, at a bad time to play in the outfield in the National League when you had so many good outfielders. You know, his counting stats is that he he played for the Pirates and the Padres in in these stretches. You'd expect that he would have fewer RBIs and fewer runs. Yeah, exactly. So if things were different as far as the way that we talked about um, base got these same stats... Whatever, how let's say normalized to 2019, get into the Hall of Fame, because also for players who play right now, there are very few of them without like Ryan Braun or maybe David Ortiz, and David Ortiz never actually got some point, and Ryan Braun got suspended for half a season, uh, several years. The way we judge players for the Hall of Fame is different now. The way we judge hall- players for the Hall of Fame is always changing. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens not get voted into the Hall of Fame, but unfortunately, it looks like. That's where we're heading. That's going to make a lot of players who really defined that era um, sort of, I don't know, people uh, who got the stats to be in the Hall of Fame but just had no chance of making it in the first. I mentioned it. I normalized his career stats to a neutral 2019 and and see what his averages would be. Probably going to be a lot of home runs. <laughs> no. Brian Giles normalized yeah. to 2019 but he is now only one point away from the 300 400 500 club he has a 290 it's better if he gets placed in this era yes i think that's something that's very interesting to see yeah, I, maybe deserve some um veterans committee hall of fame recognition <laughs> we will we shall see we retired retired veterans committee yeah retired committee he yeah. He passed by the 10 15 he didn't get five percent in his first year yeah which is unfortunate and also seeing players like Lance Berkman, like the late 90s and early aughts, who will never, won't really get the recognition they deserve. And if Scott Rowland doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, then mark my words, the Hall of Fame needs to burn to the ground. All right. Well, that's all we have today for the StatCast. Um, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, in addition to SoundCloud. So share with your friends. Toss us a, a subscribe, a like, a rating. And we'll can see you, you next can, week. Can you... Great people on Spotify. I always wondered that. I don't know, but if you 
If you, you can, you know what, Lis- listeners, fi- try to find out, and if and if so, then do it and tell us. Exactly. All right. So we're signing off. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>